Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet, but if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know it's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox Internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com slash internet for details. Hello listeners and welcome back to yet again another episode of the Beautiful Game podcast. As always, I'm your host Budge. I'm joined by my faithful two co-conspirators Dot and Dej. We are on the road again, you know the TBG boys like an away day yeah. <laughs> and our travels have, uh, have taken us to, um, to Epsom today. Um, and we're joined by a very, very special guest. Gents, how are we feeling about this, ep- this uh, episode? I'm excited. I'm good, Butch. How are you? I'm good, man. I'm raring to go. This has been one that we've been uh, uh, planning and, and, and wanting to get through for a long time. So uh, we're happy to finally be here and be in the company of this very special guest, aren't we, Dej? Oh, I can't wait. This is someone that, you know, I watched my first professional football match watching this man. And, you know, to get him in the live and flesh, I can't wait. Let's yeah. rock and roll. Man. Let's rock and roll. So our, our special guest today um, was capped 23 times by the Republic of, of Ireland. He's currently a coach um, for the Scottish uh, national team. He's uh, played right at the apex of the game in the Premier League. Um, he started off his career at Millwall. He's obviously also played for uh, West Brom um, and, and Blackburn Rovers. He uh, endeared himself to the, the Rovers fans on that faithful day. The 31st of December 2005 <laughs> with that master blaster <laughs> that made him folklore around those parts of town. Without further ado, we welcome Stephen Reed to the platform. Welcome, welcome, Thank welcome, you. welcome, Thank welcome, you. welcome, welcome. Finally sir. pinned me down. Finally. Yeah. I know, I've been messaging no, you. Pleasure. We've been having some back and forth and I'm happy to get this across the line and we're looking forward to speaking to you. No, good stuff. Looking forward to it. Looking Thank you very much for, for taking time out. We really appreciate 100%, it. 100% we do, man. So let's get the show on the road. We want to start from the very beginning, um, Steve. As a take us back, roll back the golden years. Um, to when you first started out in your career, you know, we, we obviously mentioned that you started out um, uh, in the youth ranks at, at Millwall. Mm. Um, what was what was that like? Have you always been, you know, we, we hear stories of people that say, you know, they were, they were kicking a ball for, uh, as soon as they came out of the mother's womb. Sort of <laughs> yeah, thing. Was, was that, was that, was that the, the same sort of story for you as well? Yeah, pretty much. Grew up in pretty local in Kingston, older brother, three years older. So... You know, I often speak with players that I played with and against. Part of my pro license was a study on study on the mm-hmm. on top players, Premier mm-hmm. League players, and what it takes to get there. And a lot of them, a lot of them say older brother to play with, yeah. to played on the street. Him and his friends used to kick me all over the place. Used to <laughs> toughen me up. Yeah, but, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I was obsessed. I was obsessed. I remember watching. Italy 90, the World Cup, the opening ceremony when they released a massive... Bl- I still remember it to this day, released a massive bloom at the San Siro yeah. and I was, you know, standing on the street waiting for it to come over the house. I was, at, <laughs> you know, recording yeah. every game. So, yeah, just really obsessed from a young age. Mm-hmm. Loved playing, loved watching it. If there was a game on the telly, that was yeah. a treat. Obviously, back in those days when yeah, there wasn't, yeah, much, yeah. wasn't much football mm-hmm. on the TV... And yeah, just loved the game, but it wasn't until I was about 11 that I was at trials for, for Surrey and Kingston, local local county and borough that I got picked up and mm-hmm. invited to train down at Millwall. So it wasn't like now, it's, you can be picked up six, seven years yeah, of age, yeah, so yeah, 11 yeah. now, it's, like that, yeah. you know, it seems quite late, mm-hmm. but yeah, that was the moment, um, just signed schoolboy forms and, mm-hmm. and progressed that way, training once a week at a a local centre of excellence yeah. and on school holidays you're going and spend a couple of weeks with a with the YTS players and being in and around the training ground. So mm. it was a it was a 
you know, it was a great start for me. Yeah. It was a great so start. So growing up, who was your, you know, favourite players? Which players did you like idolise and they made you think, you know what, I want to play football because of him? Probably only one, really, and most of my generation's the same. John Barnes was oh, okay, was the yeah. man, mm. and obviously at that in the eighties, Liverpool were the, pretty much a dominant force. So, you know, living down here, you could, I guess, you could call me a bit of a glory hunter. <laughs> but, but to be honest, it was probably whoever John Barnes was playing for as well, mm, in yeah. a way. You know, oh, he was my he was my idol. You still remember him wearing his Deodora Brazils. I wanted mm. to I wanted to wear them because back in those days obviously you'd just get match or shoot magazine and all you could mm-hmm. see really was what football boots a, a player had on now you you get access to their whole lives yeah. with yeah. all the social media yeah. so yeah he was he was my footballing footballing idol and from from an early age I was a Liverpool fan and remember the 88-89 the title race when it went obviously down to the wire at Anfield and that hurt me. That yeah. hurt me that night Arsenal. when Arsenal. Michael, yeah, yeah, Michael Thomas with that winner at the end. So yeah. yeah, it was just something that was just felt like it was in my blood from a, a young mm. age, just kicking the kicking the ball around. Mm. Did you feel also because um, obviously we you, you you hear from footballers and they talk about having to be very disciplined, um, and I remember uh, watching an interview from Ryan Giggs and he was speaking about the fact that he hadn't eaten a chocolate bar for about 12 years or something mm. like that. So was that also something that you had to um, implement in your lifestyle from a very early age in terms of being disciplined with the things that you're eating, um, with your, 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 your sleep, with the amount that you're training and that kind of mm. thing? A little bit, a little bit further on, a little bit further on down the line, but I, I still remember my mum would drop a little comment in, if you want to be a footballer, <laughs> can't do that, yeah, or yeah, yeah. do this or do that, or eat that. Or, but not not to that extent when I was yeah, sort yeah. of that 11 to sort of 15 mark, I still, well, you're still, still a kid yeah, and you're still yeah, exactly just enjoying so. your football. You're playing, mm. love my school football, love my Sunday football. Had a mixture as well. I think now as well, we're getting... A little bit of a problem for me that players that are at clubs at a young age can only play for them clubs. Mm-hmm. You know, they don't get all different. I was playing against, you know, local kids that were my brother's age, were older, yeah. everyone that live around the same way. Yeah, yeah, You're yeah. playing against 16, 17 year olds and you're, you're mm-hmm. 11, 10 years old. So just things like that helped mm-hmm. in my development. But as I got a little bit older into thinking, you can get paid for playing football. It can yeah. be a job and a career. That's when I was disciplined. You know, I was, I was obsessed, and that's probably something that's come to bite me in the ass a little bit mm. further down the line with not having interest in in other things because yeah. it was all about being a footballer football for me. Early, early age. That was that was it. It was mm. all I wanted to be. I studied at school. The schools were always good in terms of keeping your feet on the ground. Were you a grade A student? Pretty much, to be fair. No, (laughs) I did did all right. But I knew as soon as school, secondary school was done, that that was it. (laughs) I'm signing YTS of Millwall. And the only studies really up until coaching badges and that kind of thing was, Mm. you know, I was just head focused on becoming a footballer and giving it it everything I could. So I left school with, with decent GCSEs because of, to be fair, the school wouldn't allow. You know, if you weren't doing your yeah. schoolwork, then you wouldn't be playing play. football on a Saturday. 100%. Or if you didn't fancy playing rugby in the rugby team, then you're not going to play yeah. in the mm. football team. Yeah. So they were. It was a good, good school, good teachers that would inspire you as well. Mm. You know, would love their football, yeah, love their yeah, sport. Yeah. You know, so obviously they're very supportive of you. Yeah, they just, and that's massive. Mm. You know, if you get teachers that can inspire you mm, and support 100%. you and it's makes all the difference, it, doesn't it? It can, it can be. Mm. And I was lucky in, in all of that support for my parents and my dad, you know, up until I kind of sort of signed YTS, he would mm. drive me every game at the yeah, weekend, yeah, yeah. you know, and that's another thing that's massive. And I was mm. again, lucky that I had that support behind me. Stephen, I just want to, you know, heart back to, to me, Wall. Um, this is a bit of a touchy subject, but I remember, you know, back in the day, I grew up on um, Old Kent Road and Dej lived very, very close to me. And I know, you know, Mirwell had some great black players in the mm. 1970s, um, Trevor Lee and Phil Walker, who were like iconic figures at the club. But 
one of the things that you know growing up when i was in the local area was when me will lose a black man can't walk an Orkent road mm. you know coming through during that time how was it was this over exaggerated was this over inflated at the time and why do you think me had that stigma back then i think there's obviously been incidents in the past where there has been those types of incidents at the ground mm. and it's been it's been dealt with but it's just been a club that's had that reputation mm-hmm. for a, a long time coming through and at such a young age as i was then i didn't even really didn't really know anything about it if you know mm-hmm. i just enjoyed my football it's only mm-hmm. when you sort of become a little bit older and you sort of you get to know what certain things are in terms of racism and racist mm-hmm. organizations and you know clubs that have got a reputation and obviously that reputation was there with Millwall Mm. and it was don't get me wrong not for that reason was it a tough place to play there but it's Mm. a club that demands Mm. 110% on the pitch you have to be a special type of character to be able to play for you do you have to be I think sometimes you have to take it into account as well in sort of not recommending a player to you know to Neil Harris when he's the manager and we would have conversations about you know, players and he might ask me about, but you've got to be prepared to and equipped, you know, mentally and physically mm-hmm. to play at Millwall because if, you, if you're not giving everything every weekend, every mm-hmm. Saturday, then they're going to give you stick. Of and, course. And, and rightly so. But there was obviously, going back to the, um, what we was talking about, the, the club has always had that reputation, but mm-hmm. behind the scenes, there's a lot of people doing a lot of good work at the mm-hmm. club. I've, you know, from my own personal point of view, I couldn't speak highly enough about the club when mm-hmm. I was there. There was one or two incidents, you know, at times where, you know, I might hear something and, you know, at times my dad sort of mm-hmm. going to the, mm-hmm. not at all times, I didn't feel comfortable sometimes mm-hmm. if we had a game. And when you're actually playing in a game, you're not really mm-hmm. aware of too much yeah. of what's going yeah, on. Yeah. But there might be an incident that's in the press after a game. And I'm thinking, yeah. you know, my dad sat in a stand mm-hmm. You know, I didn't, weren't fully comfortable at times, but, yeah. you know, from my own personal point of view, though, there's a group of us that were lucky that we were given the opportunity because the club went into financial trouble and basically we all got thrown in <laughs> yeah. because yeah. the club had no other option. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I've just got, I've just got good memories of being at the club. Mm. Um, and I know it's working hard in all departments mm. to try and eradicate the, one or two idiots that you you have had at times and that you you always you are always going to get mm. um not at, just that mere war at every club. no of course yeah. no of course we're seeing it now more mm. than ever mm. at the minute it's mm. you know we sort of think at times how well things are progressing in terms of racism and you know the atmosphere at stadiums but over the last couple of years things have taken a, a downward turn and mm. you know at the minute it's it's a difficult situation and it's something that needs to be addressed pretty quickly mm, because yeah. it seems to be getting a little bit out of hand. Yeah, yeah so 100%. like going backwards to Mill making your debut. So how did you find out and how was that day, you know, going out? Was it home or away? It was uh, actually made my first appearance was last day of the 97, 98 season. Played mm. Bournemouth at home. Yeah. Um, but I'd actually sort of been involved. Like Billy Bonds was manager at the time mm. and from the start again you do need to have that little bit of luck but when he came in there was like myself Tim Cahill mm. Paul Eiffel there was a group of us that he he kind of liked yeah. and it got to that last game of the season and it was me and Tim Cahill came on to make our our debuts but a couple of minutes in there was a pitch invasion to wow. <laughs> so we had to come up so we had to come up the pitch so I was like I'm coming on my first league appearance in my career and you know, at the end of the game, the season had not been a successful one really and there's mm. a pitch invasion at the end. So we came off and then went back on. But I remember the feeling of of being out there. Nervous, really nervous mm. going out there, but had a couple of nice touches and and after that Settles was looking... Yeah, 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 it did. It's it did. a good start. Yeah, because I remember, you know, the early 2000s were, you know, the glory days for me. Well, I was born in Bermondsey. I'm a Bermondsey boy. And my first football club, my manager was a big... Mirwall fan, you know, will take us to games and he'll singing your song in the car. <laughs> hey, Steve, you read it. <laughs> uh, you know, it's really, really good. And 
we were in our parks and we could hear, you know, the Let Em Come song and we'd be like, oh, yeah. Millwall have scored. It was proper, you know, massive. So how was it being part of that Millwall side that, you know, got into the playoffs and finished fourth? It was unbelievable. Um, we, we was lucky that we had a good group of young players, but we also had good experience in the mm. team as well. As soon as I sort of started my YTS and got involved full-time at the club, but sort of 15, 16. Bobby Bowery was, you know, great to me. You know, a lot of the senior players were good influences. Not, never felt that there was any animosity towards the younger players. They were just there to, to help. Sometimes you get the, you know, you get it sometimes where you get the young players coming through and the older players Mm. feel a little bit threatened, but that wasn't the case there. And yeah, we had good guidance, good advice, you know, throughout that team, sort of Daishi and yeah. Bobby Bowery was good to me. Stuart never cut at the back. Tony Warner came in from mm. Liverpool. Then we had that sort of age group in between, like Mark, Mark Bertrams and... He's just being appointed at the Harmony. Yeah, as I spoke to him the other day, actually. Yeah. So he's going to have nice, nice lifestyle yeah. coming up. Yeah. 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 A couple of scouting trips yeah. for me, yeah. I think. Yeah. But yeah, we just had a good blend of experience, youth players that could put their foot in, be mm. aggressive, but could play as well. So everything sort of come together nicely. And we mm. got that promotion from League One into the championship and then almost almost went all the way through. But for that last minute, Stern John, last minute goal yeah. for Birmingham. Mm. Who's the manager then? Mark McGee, was it? Yeah, it was Mark McGee. Yeah. And it sort of did feel a little bit like if it wasn't going to be that season, that the team might yeah. be, might it's fall like, apart. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, And then pretty soon after that, sort of I got my move then Tim Cahill got his move mm-hmm. and then almost felt like that was the opportunity to to get to the get to the promised land really but never mm. wasn't meant to be but look back at that time good success um so yeah good memories good memories of me all mm-hmm. and you're you're a you're a hero to many but a villain to uh Wigan fans um, <laughs> <laughs> you know it seemed to always score the uh, the wonder goal against them what I wanted to ask you is which one was your favourite? The Master Blaster uh, at Blackburn Rovers or the uh, free kick um, at West Brom? It'd, it'd probably be. There's one at Mill actually. There was one goal at Mill when we got promoted from, from League One and we beat Oldham 5-0 five, five last game of the season. Mm-hmm. So that was one of my... But probably that Blackburn one for different reasons in, mm-hmm. in it being a struggle when I first went there and... I was in the mill dressing room one day and then I get the transfer up and you're in the mm. dressing room with, you know, Coley and <laughs> Dwight York, Brad Friedel and Flickcraft and all of these yeah. sort of household names. Mm. And it took me a while. It took me a while to adapt to, to moving away from home, to, mm. you know, feeling that I belong to play at that level. So it was, yeah. a, it was it, it, probably a, a year or so. It took me a year or so to settle in and... Mm. And actually, the the last bit of that settling in was probably that goal against Wigan, where I actually felt I've arrived. Yeah, yeah I belong at this now. level. Yeah. Playing centre midfield every every week, playing it, <laughs> doing all right, <laughs> doing all right. Playing around, played yeah. played thirty three league games that season. I think all starts as well, and mm. that was probably the moment that I actually felt that I belonged at level yeah. at so, that level. So it was more than just a goal yeah, in a way. Yeah, so yeah. so just very quickly, how was it mentally? Because you know, as fans, we're so quick to say X players are flop or we spent big money on him. He's, he's flopping. Not he's not performing. Yeah. How is it mentally? How tough is it? You know, moving from your home, going to Blackburn, settling in the dressing room with big names. How, how did it feel? And what like, aspect of that move was the most difficult for you in terms probably, of adjusting? Probably the actual performance itself mm. in actually having that, because I've always been my worst enemy yeah. in mm. terms of you know, overthinking mm. games and putting myself under too much pressure going into the games. Mm. Um, you know, I had help along the way for that in terms of sports psychologists. You know, I used mm. to see Steve Peters and... Mm. He worked at Liverpool, Liverpool as well. Yeah, 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 I used to... When I was at Blackburn, I had a, you know, a little a difficult spell. Mm. So I saw Steve for for some sessions and another, another guy called Damien Hughes who are now okay, sort of yeah. quite big, yeah, yeah, yeah. You mm. know, big hitters in the industry. Mm. But... Yeah, that was my kind of, you know, not, never been embarrassed by it as well. It's mm-hmm. it's whatever you need to to try and get that that elite performance. And 
you know helped me massively still still beat myself up now mm. don't get me yeah, wrong if it's yeah. a coaching session everything needs to be spot on Perfect. Yeah, so yeah. some of the things that get you to the top can not kill you along the way as well mm. but you you mm. Sometimes you're your own worst enemy yeah. in yeah. that way. Mm. And so that's why what, we're like, sorry, Steve, no, that's just why gonna, we're like massive fans on this um, podcast for the Heads Up campaign where people should speak out and feel comfortable if they're suffering from some mental mm. adversity. Yeah, and, and I've, I've mm. always been been open and honest about, mm. about that during my career. And, you know, when I left Crystal Palace a little bit late, I needed to take a little bit of time out from the game and, mm. you know, just kind of, just sort of enjoy life a bit more, yeah. spend mm. some time with the family, which is obviously far more important than football anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, that, that initial period at Blackburn was tough and you are away from home and you, you know, you've got to perform, you've yeah. come in and not replaced big name players that have left like Damien Duff and yeah. David Dunn yeah. that, yeah. that have been yeah. at the club, but that was more pressure on me. And of yeah, like I say, after that, it was almost like a, a light bulb moment. Mm-hmm. That goal went in, couldn't wait for the, can wait for the next game. Yeah, and yeah, when you've yeah. got that confidence, <laughs> the difference anything. between it not being there and being there is is yeah. massive. Yeah. Do you know what? That's a, it's, it's a really uh, interesting point that you raised about um, that that level of perfection that you seek and like wanting to make sure that everything's right. Because um, not too long ago we had Michael Bill come on the, mm. the podcast, and he's obviously a, a coach down at, um, at Rangers. Yeah, and we asked the question: What difference, if mm. any? is there between people that he's worked with that have played before and then gone into coaching versus people that have just gone straight into to, to coaching and, and management. And he said exactly what you mentioned there about the it, it, it's the standards. Mm. It's mm. the expectation. Every single session, it's got to be perfect. It's got to be, mm. it, it's the passion, it's the desire, it's that hunger to go and, and be consistent at that level. Mm. So yeah, that, you hit the nail on the head with that. And f- with the coach's head on for a minute, that's what the players expect now as well. They expect mm. sessions to be organised or slick. And, you know, you're not hanging around waiting yeah. for the next little bit. They ex- that's what they expect. They're super professional now. Mm. You know, all the boys now playing at all levels of the game, mm. you know, look after themselves, all look in good shape, all are lean, all are, you know, obviously the athleticism side of the game is is massive, but from a playing point of view, yeah, I was. You know, don't get me wrong. At that at that stage, in actual fact, when I first signed for Blackburn, there was still a little bit of a probably won't go as far as to say drinking culture, but yeah. we we enjoyed a night out as well. <laughs> yeah. You know, looking back here now, enjoying the fruits of your labour. Yeah, yeah, just no. those so London taking, nights. Yeah, <laughs> Manchester, yeah, up in Manchester. But but now, looking back here now, probably wouldn't probably wouldn't drink if I was to go through it all again. Wouldn't mm. drink alcohol because you know the effects as you sort of get older and you yeah. get to know your body a little bit more and the sports science come into the game, mm. but. Mark Hughes actually came in when I was at Blackburn and kind of made a few changes to the squad. So I think he's maybe saw that a little bit. Mm. and What, took the sort of bad influences out of the dressing not room? Not bad, it, all good people. Mm. That My whole time at Blackburn, really good, you know, good senior pros. Everyone got on well, everyone worked hard. But mm. I think he just maybe wanted to go down a Different. a more athletic, mm. fitter, fitter group. Mm. Um, that was when Prozone first started getting introduced so we was really heavily into the pro zone at the club we'd have meetings on our physical stuff from the game and if we out sprint if we out run the opposition the impact that's going to have on the result of the game so that was my first experience of that and we became to get out of the position we was in when he came into the club you know we became Fit, strong, ugly team to. I don't mm. think anyone at that time. We actually got <laughs> labelled when we when we played Chelsea, and I think Aaron Mukwena, I think he broke Iron Robin's ankle in the game, mm. and we sort of got a bit of a label of being. So like the modern Stoke, the way Stoke was yeah, seen, yeah. you know. Yeah, the well, that kind of you mm. know, not not a nice place to go, and yeah. I didn't but mind that as well. Yeah, yeah, and yeah, that's yeah. something that was useful to us mm. in people coming up to Ewood Park and not enjoying it yeah. we always felt if we was at least drawing the game with 20 minutes to go we was in with a, a good chance of winning that yeah. game or definitely not getting a definitely not getting beat because we felt that we could run all over the opposition I mean that Blackburn side you know David Bentley 
Bellamy, mm. Friedel, Nelson at the back, you knew that going to Ewood Park, you're going to have to earn every single corn. I think you finished sixth and seventh in those seasons qualifying for Europe. So how was it being part of that group? Yeah, amazing times. And that's when, you know, you're on top of the world. You finish sixth in the Premier League. You know, unfancy team in a way to do it. But yeah, some top quality, Mm. top quality teammates sort of there. And if if I was to pick, you know, best 11 I've I've played with, there'd definitely be a few out of that team. We was Mm. lucky that we had sort of Bellamy, we had Benny Mm. McCarthy, we had Santa Cruz. Every season we had a goal scorer Mm. in the team. Obviously, Bentley went for big money to Tottenham and two guys, still oh, probably the most oh, gifted footballer I've played with. Technically, you know, smoked, smoked like a chimney, but he? <laughs> yeah, okay. he was honest, some player. Some what about player. Savage? Was he quality? He gets the Robbie, yeah. Do you know what? He's, he was it's so effective in, in his game and what he did and his ability to get around the pitch and upset oppositions, like <laughs> really upset them. You know, there's a yeah. few games where got a little bit out of hand in the tunnels and <laughs> one or two stadiums but bit of afters, yeah, yeah he's um no good teammate good big character in the in the training ground and obviously gone on to a, a big success in in the media world as well mm. that actually leads me to the next question i was going to ask you the best player you've played with and played against with probably as a pure footballer would be two guy yeah just unbelievable yeah just, unbelievable with yeah. the ball but Sort of in terms of all round, you, you know, Roy Keane's got to be in there as yeah. one, just as a winner. You know what he took onto the training field alone, and then into the games. Damien Duff was another yeah. genius with a football, yeah. but there's there's so many, there's so mm-hmm. many. But I probably have to say those two as a little bit of a balance between yeah. totally gifted footballer and and a. You know, Premier League legend. Yeah, yeah. Also, I wanted to ask a question about nowadays. Didn't you say it was the best against? Oh yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, Well, probably it have to be Ronaldo, I guess. Yeah, when he's at Man United, I was at Blackburn and see him line up on the wing, and you know you're in for a tough afternoon. That's for sure. Yeah, Yeah, probably. He's done all right as well. (laughs) (laughs) He's not done bad. Yeah, what I wanted to ask is: there's a lot of comparison, people comparing you know, the invincible squad to the Liverpool team now. And you sort of played in that transition period as well to the modern game. So let's say, for instance, who would you back between the invincible team and this current Liverpool side? It's a big question. Mm. Yeah, big question. I I think both have got a mixture of everything. I know what, what I do know, that Arsenal team was... Vieira's probably one of the toughest as well to play against because mm. at that point in my career I was centre midfield Vieira was centre midfield yeah. so it's, <laughs> I had everything strength size power could play could head it could score goals could defend so he's just just had the whole package mm. and you had you know Thierry Henry at Arsenal at that time and doing magic tricks on with the ball yeah, <laughs> yeah. but I don't know I, I, I genuinely couldn't give an answer to, to that one. The mm. Liverpool team now is one of the best I've seen. The front three and the, mm. the balance in what they've got in midfield and experience and, and Van Dijk and <laughs> the full-backs. Yeah, um, yeah. I don't know. I'd probably have to just sit on the fence and get splinters. Yeah, I think Vieira would get in that, maybe in that central midfield slot for Liverpool. He's mm. probably... Centre midfield point of view when I was playing, he was the he was the toughest opponent. Mm. Okay. And and sort of final question on your playing career before we talk about your coaching career. Um, of course, you applied your trade for the majority of your career at centre mid, but you obviously um, played at fullback as well. Um, and I guess I really wanted to find out, like, did playing in one position help you in terms of your understanding of another position? Um, what what was it like? when Even when you were just like playing with your, your mates and whatnot, perfect example, Dej here is a left back, but when he's uh, playing with the lads, he fancies himself as a number 10. So, <laughs> yeah. so, was, <laughs> so, so was it was it similar uh, for you as well? Sort of I, was, I, was, I guess I was quite lucky in my career that I played, you know, got tagged a bit of a utility player because mm. I actually... 
I was actually a striker as a youth mm. team player at Mill. Right. And then a lot of the time when you're a striker, when you make your debut, you end up playing right or left wing. Mm. You're just sort of filling in yeah, a position because yeah. you can run a little bit and got a little bit of pace. But then drifted into centre midfield. I remember playing a game at left back when I was at Millwall. Mm-hmm. So I think managers kind of saw in me uh, an intelligence yeah. tactically mm-hmm. in a way to fill in different positions. I think playing, I think I ended up basically going back to right back because of all the surgeries I had and mm-hmm. the effect that I had on my body. Mm-hmm. And playing at right back wasn't in the teams I played in as physically demanding. Mm-hmm. But that helped me as well. I could see the game, could see mm-hmm. the picture, always quite a big talker on the pitch sort of organising sort of my wide man in front of me or centre backs giving good information so that was probably a good transition for me into right backs into into a little bit of a coaching kind mm. of role as well because I could see the whole picture the whole game yeah. and mm. you know and hopefully influence influence it from there yeah yeah, yeah you mentioned to... something as well about you know injuries mm. that's something that's not really spoken about in the modern game people sort of sidestep the issue you know suffering I think maybe had 10 surgeries or up to yeah, that yeah 10 yeah so how how does that feel psychologically because people don't really talk about we see someone like Jack Wilshere in the modern game having his you know fair few of lock um, injury not getting trolled yeah getting trolled yeah. online I'm yeah. sure back then there wasn't you know that much vitriol towards you but how is it psychologically dealing with these? it's tough you sort of look back at it now and you, there must have been there must have been moments of real suffering in there because mm. I did my cruise shirts. I was out for seven eight months, came back for two months, and then I was out for eleven months. Had ankle reconstruction. Mm. But you kind of just get it's just you get into some kind of zone. I think where you just just get on with it in a way. Again, with the help of sports psychologists. Again, that mm. was another important time for me in terms of you know, getting back to or believing that you're going to get back to a certain level when you look down and your legs completely, completely shot to pieces. I think you at played time. for 45 minutes with a broken leg yeah, as well. I did at Arsenal. <laughs> I didn't want to come off because I give a penalty away. <laughs> <laughs> so I didn't want to come off in that game. I thought initially it was my knee. So I was thinking sort of here we go again. But yeah, somehow, and that actually scared me. Sort of thinking back to it, that scared me a little bit, mm-hmm. to be honest. You know, mm. the ability to play through that is actually quite scary. Yeah. That you know, in terms of your own exactly. health yeah. and your, you know, what you might deal with, mm. this, yeah, it's incredible it's when I look cr- back at it. It's crazy because the adrenaline whilst playing football yeah, can, does, cause the next can day, take you through. Yeah, the next two days sort of after, because we had a Christmas do actually in London okay. after this the Arsenal game. Yeah, I was going to ask you about this actually yeah, because, I'm, yeah. So ben I wanted Foster to go said, on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fuzzy tweeted that. I think, what's your favourite moment from yeah, me yeah. Uh, I trust and Fuzzy, Fuzzy said <laughs> that story <laughs> and he's he's right because mm. if you're injured you can't really go yeah, out on the Christmas yeah, day yeah. so I kept it quiet and then <laughs> on the Monday morning you were done ah uh, it was uh, really struggling let's, really struggling let's move on um, to the coaching element um, earlier on the podcast you said tactically you always looked at the bigger picture when you were playing football um Towards the end of your career, did you ever think you were going into coaching? Uh, probably when I had my first knee, when I had my first knee injury, when I'd done my cruise shirt, you kind of sort of think, well, this might not, this might not go on forever. Mm. At that point, did I think that I was going to go into that? I just probably wanted to give myself the option, you know, going so forward. Would you pursuing your badges at the time? Yeah, or? so after that, started my level two when I was mm. at Blackburn then later went on to the B license and then then the A license uh and then yeah all badged up now with the pro license mm. as well so I've got yeah. them all but it's probably probably when it well West Brom when sort of Roy Hodgson came in and I started to think about the game a little bit more started to take a little bit more notice of sessions and why we're doing sessions mm. and then that sort of grew a little bit more when when Steve Clark came in. So so how was it under Roy Hodgson? Because he's a manager that I would say has been stigmated with a bad reputation. I know he had, you know, troublesome times at England and Liverpool. Mm. And that's kind of like ruined the perception of Roy Hodgson. But how was it on a day-to-day working with him? Because for I, me, he's a top manager. I think it has for some people. I think for people that 
appreciate and know the game mm. and appreciate the jobs that he's done at clubs, I don't think you can ever tarnish in my eyes anyway because mm. you know, to this day and even when I was at Palace, still the most enthusiastic football man that I've come across in the game. Mm. You know, At that age now, he's just signed obviously a new deal to go into his 74th year, I think it's going to be. Yeah. Oh. So it's just incredible, the enthusiasm. Mm. You know, he's still on the grass every day. Mm. There's some managers that might roll out halfway through a session or maybe not even come in some days, but he's in. And you've... <laughs> To be doing it, to be doing it at that age, you've got to love the game. Yeah, yeah. I can, I can actually buttress your point because me and Desjem spent some time at Palace training ground, and he was the last one yeah. out. Of the, yeah, <laughs> he was the last one out. Yeah. Of the, of I think the... it was Ray Lewington. Then, like fifteen minutes after, it was Hodgson, and we sort of said to each other, "Wow, wow. to be doing this yeah, sort of job." And to... It's just got a yes. good, good personality around mm. the training. Always checks the physio room, see how all the injured players are getting on. Just little details like that. Right. Good mm. atmosphere in the training ground, and. Ultimately, he's a top, top coach. The yeah. detail that he, he gives the players. And it was a pleasure to work under him when I played at West Brom. So I still found myself learning the game. I was, I think I was 30, 31 at the time. And working alongside him as, as a coach was, was a pleasure. And Ray Lewinton as well was, yeah, great experience for me. Yeah, so what would you say his like, secret is for this longevity? Because, you know, to be managing for 40-odd years... You have to have, you know, an innate hunger. You know, yeah, hunger, football. love of the game. I think it has to be the love of the game because yeah. you hear some coaches and managers that will say there's no way they're going to be managing mm, at 60 yeah. years old. Yeah. But then it's it's a bit like a drug as well. It's yeah. definitely a drug for Roy because <laughs> yeah. he said it on a few occasions that, you know, just keep sucking him back into the game. And yeah, he's just, just got that drive, desire, you know, will to win, enthusiasm. I used to say to a couple of the players, you know, how can the manager, you know, be more enthusiastic than <laughs> than some of the some of the players, and and that's still the case. So mm. no, he's yeah, he's obviously one or two jobs where he got a little bit of stick, but yeah, as far as I'm concerned, he's yeah. yeah, he's he's top class. Also, another person you've played with, Sean Dyche. He's another manager that's having, you know, universal success this mm. season. So what is it about Sean Dyche that makes him, you know, a top manager? Because we've seen throughout his time as a manager at Burnley, there's been some spells, winless runs, and he's come under scrutiny for every single time he bounces back. Yeah, he's, well, I played alongside Dyche and then actually my last year playing was was um was under under him um so it, that was a bit of a strange one mm. in terms of that relationship but I really enjoyed it from a physical point of view I I started to realize then that mm. my days were numbered mm. especially looking at how the team trained every single day the intensity and the uh the the energy they train with every single day was incredible um so from a physical point of view, that last season at Burnley was tough. But in terms of seeing how an environment at a football club should be, uh, mm. with everyone getting on, no egos, you know, great atmosphere. That season was was incredible and still in touch with a few of the players from that squad now. But he, mm. he's just got an ability to, to motivate. I remember the season that I was there, we spent the majority of the season in that relegation battle and in the bottom three. But you'd come out of meetings feeling like you was challenger for a Champions League spot just got an unbelievable ability to mm. to motivate and to and to lift you and you know it's no surprise to me the job he's done there in the last few years and keeping mm. them in the Premier League so what do you think is strange that he's maybe not linked with you know higher jobs people kind of say maybe you know his grovelly voice and his appearance maybe puts you know these bigger clubs off but do you think that's an unfair stigma that he's got and do you think he can maybe do a job at like you know at Everton or so well, I think that is a that's definitely a it's definitely one of the reasons I think that I think if perhaps if it was a foreign coach doing the same job, you know, potentially mm. they would have been given that opportunity. But no, I, I, yeah, he should be linked with some of these top jobs. You know, the job he's done in keeping Burnley not just in the Premier League, but I think they finished you know top top eight within that time and again this season kicking on again mm -hmm. um, yeah the success he's had has been unbelievable and you know it'd be interesting to see whether that next step up does happen because well, there's no one that deserves it with the job he's done there and the 
you know, not just on the pitch, but you see the new training ground. It's up mm. there with the best, just in actually building, helping to build a, you know, better infrastructure at the club in terms of all the little bits around it. Because you see some clubs that spend a couple of years in the Premier League, a few years later, the money's run out and mm. there's nothing behind, no new training ground, mm. no real academy set up. But that's a club that's, that's grown on and off the pitch. I know you've had some, you know, other coaching roles at Reading as well under McDermott and you helped out AFC Wimbledon as well. So how are these experiences helped in aiding you to, you know, where you are now? A, a lot, I think is the word. I, I started at Reading with Steve Clark in league. Sorry, league, he was in the championship. So we had two years in the championship, but with three different managers at that mm. season with Yapstam at the end mm. where we got to the playoff final and lost on penalties to Huddersfield, which was tough, mm. but... Actually, being involved in a game of that size mm. was was unbelievable because it's biggest game in the world. Really, that game to get into the yeah. to get into the Premier League was was huge. But I actually, had to sit back and actually tell myself to enjoy it as well. Yeah, when we mm. got on the the bus, when we were staying at the hotel, I actually tried to enjoy the trip to Wembley and taking the occasion because so many of these these experiences in your career just kind of pass you by too quickly and you don't actually enjoy it. That's what I mm. found. I didn't actually enjoy or didn't allow myself to enjoy some of the some of the best moments of my career. So now when these opportunities come, I try and soak it in. But after Reading, went to Palace for a year, had a, a great time working at the top level with some of the top players in the Premier League, like Wilf and... Mm. Aaron Basaka obviously went to Man United and working at that level, but equally, equally, I love my time working at AFC Wimbledon. It's you know, the total contrast. It is, but yeah. I loved it. You yeah. know, young players asking questions and quizzing you about different situations and what they can work on. Small staff mm. mucking in together, cleaning the kit and cleaning the balls and struggling to find bits of equipment. That's, but, that's what football is all about. Yeah, I loved yeah. it. Really loved it. And then. Back to one of my old clubs, West Brom, as well. That was a, that strange situation where you're coaching players that you played with. This is it, yeah. Because <laughs> you know what I wanted to ask you is how soon is too soon in terms of mm. uh, an, an ex-player going back to manage or coach at a club that they were previously playing at? We've obviously seen Arteta go back to Arsenal, Lampard go back to Chelsea, uh, and 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 in you know for um, Arteta, for example, mm. he was in the team playing with Ozil say and he's obviously a big personality in, in, in that Arsenal dressing room so it changes the dynamic a little bit because then you've got to manage that you know and I'm, I'm sure when you yeah. went back there were still some players that you were you, you had previously played with so was yeah, that but challenging? Not really to be honest I, mm. I kind of you know pretty soon after I became a coach at Reading and I was finding my feet a little bit and kind of felt a little bit like a player still there was a moment where I actually lost it mm. pretty soon into pre-season my first first pre-season as a coach and sent the players in from a training session and that was kind of the line mm. sort of there and then where yeah. I'm on the other side yeah, now. Yeah, um, yeah. But I think it all depends. I think as a player, I was well-respected at West Brom mm. in yeah. sort of getting through the injuries and professionalism yeah. and performances as well. So I think if you've got that respect, it's never too soon. You might end up being younger than... You know, yeah, a lot of the players yeah, that you're yeah, going to yeah. coach yeah. And, and played with. But I think if you carry yourself in the right way and you've got that respect, you're off to mm. a good start. But ultimately, you need to deliver good sessions and get results because if you're not, then... Pressure. Yeah, then the pressure 100%. builds and then questions are asked. Whether you're up to it or not, you have to you have to back it up as well. I think, I think that's the, you know, perfect segue into what you're doing at the moment. Um, obviously we know you're the Scotland assistant manager but before we dive into that I just wanted to ask you how is it working with Steve Clark because this is a man that was you know held as one of the best coaches in the world mm. when he was at Chelsea um, when he was at Liverpool so on a day-to-day how is it working you know with him? Well that started obviously at Reading mm-hmm. when I worked and even as a player when he was my manager when mm-hmm. I was at West mm-hmm. Brom sessions were organized from the from the start we we hit it off I was used to go in his office and you know just speak one-on-one like man-to-man about mm. how my body was feeling I would never let a physio kind of or doctor come down and pull me out of us because usually what happens you go in 
you say to the physio how you're feeling or doctor and they will sort of bring the sheet down to the the coaches who's mm. training who's not I'll just go in and see the manager if I didn't feel like I could train mm. just tell him man to man <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I was yeah. usually in a bad way actually with my knee so I think he respected that mm. so we built that relationship but coaching alongside him is the details incredible daily mm. um, so it's just just another learning experience mm. and you know, probably feel, well, I do feel a lot more comfortable now because that was okay. my first coaching role. Yeah. And to be honest, I didn't have a clue what I was doing, really. <laughs> never, learning on the job. Yeah, you yeah. are. Yeah. You are. You're dealing with international players and you are learning on the job. Mm. But now I feel comfortable. I still I still get butterflies when I'm setting mm. a session up and about to yeah. deliver because I feel that pressure that it's, and you should do, that it's got to be a good session. You've got to... Yeah. It's got to flow. It's got to be sharp because you're dealing with players that are at the... The top, top, top level. level. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, I want to impress, you know, I still want to impress the manager as well. Mm, of course. You know, I want to show my coaching abilities. I know he trusts me, you know, and I want to deliver as well good coaching sessions to the players. And if it's not yeah. right, then don't worry about that. Yeah, the gaffer you will yeah. tell yeah. you he's yeah. pretty yeah. sharp. He looks like he will as well. Mm. <laughs> when you see the pictures of him, he, yeah, yeah, he can yeah, look mean. Yeah. He, he looks meaner than, than what he is. Mm. You know, sometimes people <laughs> comment on that, but... <laughs> He's approachable and he's, mm-hmm. you know, good, good man. Yeah, and you've got a lot of, you know, elite players in that squad. You know, Andy Robertson at Liverpool, Kieran Tierney, you know, at Arsenal. You've got a lot of the Celtic and Rangers players. But there's one, you know, young lad, you know, that took the headlines this week. Mm. You know, Billy Gilmore. <laughs> Billy the Kid. Yeah, you know, like, the, the, the manager was there. I was up in Scotland doing a bit of work with the, with the analyst ahead of Israel and the potential two opponents in the final so I went to a game up there but luckily the manager went to that game and yeah he's definitely he's definitely a player with a bright future that's for sure in the squad for Israel (laughs) (laughs) I better better speak with the manager first but he's yeah he's look at that 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 uh, performance against mm. that opposition as well to start the game and play like that is is incredible. The confidence, mm. not only from himself to perform like that, but you could see players wanting in, wanting to give him the ball as well. Sometimes with younger players, there might be a reluctance to mm. trust them with the ball, but every opportunity that he was on the ball, looking to play forward, be positive. Mm. So yeah, it's... Yeah, if he carries on doing that, then obviously you can't ignore it. And <laughs> yeah. he's a top player. But a lot of it, that's a position where we're really strong at the minute as mm. well. We've got, we're blessed with, you know, really strong midfield positions at the moment. And, you know, and hopefully everyone's going to, going to click in time for the Israel game on the mm. 26th of March. I just, yeah. I just wanted to ask you, I know Dej was talking about, you know, the top players in the, in the camp and, how is it working with Andrew Robertson, who's a Champions League winner and soon to be a Premier League winner? John McGinn, who I rate as one of the best midfielders in the Premier League. When you see their drive and determination every day, does that just motivate you to, you know, get better at your job? Yeah, it, it does. And when you're working at that level, like I said, you know, in the conversation earlier, mm. you're, you're dealing with international players and Champions League winners and that level of player. You just... That pressure is always on me anyway. Mm. I spoke earlier about mm. being hard on myself mm. and I, find, I feel that pressure to make sure that it's, it's done right and professional and, and good sessions um, anyway. But actually went to that Champions League final as well last summer okay. and then I met up with a squad a day after then Andy come over and it, that was good. It's good for the good for the country good for the mm-hmm. squad and how, know, was the, how was the ambience in the dressing room when Robertson came back as a Champions League winner everyone stood up give him a standing ovation and stuff like that I remember playing playing with Roy Keane when I was with Republic and you want to you want to improve your own performance mm-hmm. when you're training mm-hmm. with players that are playing at that level and demanding it of everyone around them that can only improve the squad you know hopefully mm-hmm. soon to be Premier League winner as well that will hopefully I think, the younger, I think that's done. I think that's done. I'm probably <laughs> sitting in some football so mode. This coronavirus hasn't got anything to say about that. But yeah, when you've got... So, <laughs> but, that, that's going to be hopefully a big help to the squad in mm. seeing Scottish players that are performing and delivering at that level. And let's not forget, a few years ago at Hull, mm. you know, 
a couple of years before that playing in playing in Scotland mm. itself. So to see that progression hopefully gives other players that hope and belief that they can do the same. So what's the feeling in the camp? As you alluded to, there's a massive game, you know, March 26 against Israel, you know, for all of the marbles, you know, it's win or bust kind <laughs> of thing, semi-final. Yeah. So how are you, Steve Clark and Alex Dyer, approaching that game? Excited. It's been a long time since November. That was our last games. Mm. But we're actually on a decent decent run of results at the minute. Started off was difficult. Played Belgium and Russia twice and mm. got heavily beaten in, in a few of those those games, which was which was tough. But then we've kinda in a good place at the minute with the results we've had. And to be honest with you, I don't this is one of them games where you know, you might get asked a question, how can you motivate a you it's, mm. it's, it's the reward. It's 22 Everyone years knows. since yeah. last major tournament. For me, the highlight of my career is playing in the World Cup. I thought it was going to be every couple of years that I'll be playing in a tournament, mm. like Euros or what, but still the pinnacle of my career. Mm. And for these boys, it could be the same. Playing in a major tournament, most of them are, are sort of, they probably can't remember the last time that Scotland were in a major tournament because mm. they were that young or not, or not even born. So... Mm it can be one of the highlights of their career and, and for all of us it would be one of the highlights of my career if I can help you know us achieve that dream of getting there but it's tough ask got Israel mm. which hopefully will be a sellout and we know if that we perform how we can do with the players that we got we got a great chance and then potentially a difficult final against Norway or Serbia mm. which will be away from home but yeah it's a great opportunity great opportunity is there a feeling within the camp or you know in Scotland that you know you've got a golden generation coming up because when you look at the caliber of players you know most of them are playing in the Premier League or playing for Celtic or Rangers so mm. is there that feeling in the camp there's a good feeling uh not seeing too much about a golden generation <laughs> no there's a real you know it's a good place to good place to be good atmosphere in the squad similar feel to when I was involved in the Republic squad you know, there's different players playing at different levels, which is good. It can hopefully inspire inspire the, the the players that are not playing Premier League football, for argument's sake, that maybe one day they can be a Champions League winner or Premier League winner or SPL winner. So, mm. no, there's, the atmosphere is good. I think the last few results has helped that. We've got, obviously, you know, a few of our players playing in at some top clubs, you know, mm. in, obviously in Scotland and, and in England as well. So, yeah, there's a good feel. Hopefully now, the, the key now is everyone or as many players as possible are fit for mm. for that squad announcement. Mm. Obviously, we had a bit of a setback with John McGinn getting his mm. injury. Scott McTominay's back now from mm. his. So, we're Kieran hopefully... Tierney's back Kieran in training. Yeah, back yeah. in training. So, hopefully we've got everyone fit and available for the game. That's a key because it's not the biggest pool of players that we have got. So it's important the ones we do have a a fit and available mm. for that game. Stephen, just a very quick question from me. Um, I've spoken to you know multiple um Scotland fans, and they said, you know, the common consensus was that defensively, you guys seem to concede a lot of goals. And the the question I want to ask is, do you think you guys are closer to finding an internal solution? Because from from the people that I've spoken to, they said that they don't feel that the centre-back partnership is working. So do you feel you need to look internally at a few youngsters coming through or you feel you're closer to finding a solution with like Charlie McGrew and Grant Hanley? Well, again, it's it's one for the, the players that are, are there to step up. It's obviously a couple of those games. Are, let's not forget we're playing against Belgium, mm -hmm. uh, mm. the top team in world football at the minute yeah. and the you know, attacking threat that they've got. And Russia, we had a heavy defeat in Russia, but again, a top team. Mm. Um, so, yeah, it's it's a difficult one to look at sort of players that have not been in and around the squad, especially in that mm -hmm. position, to suddenly break into it for games of this magnitude. But, yeah, I think, I think the younger players, I think if there's an opportunity for them to, to perform and they're playing well, we, we're monitoring... All players. Is there any, names, yeah, there we, any names that you can mention? <laughs> <laughs> any exclusives? No. So we, you know, every every week, me and the gaffer and a couple of the scouts are, are out gunner games and, mm -hmm. and keeping tabs on the players. But yeah, it's it's going to be difficult at this moment in time for, you know, a lot of the young players to, 
to break in all of a sudden, especially mm. for a game of yeah this size. But you know, we're we're happy with what we've seen so far, and especially the last few performances and results have gone well. So we're we're hopefully going to look to build on that and mm. and win the big game, and then hopefully we've got the second game to to get to the Euros and not forget be in England's group as well. Mm. So that'd be that'd be tasty. that'd be some occasion, yeah, yeah, yeah. At Wembley if that was to happen, but. Just get Israel, hopefully, hopefully a good result against them, then look forward to the next one. Yeah, recently we saw the news this week of the UEFA Nations draw with obviously Israel, Slovakia and Czech Republic. So how are you and the staff viewing that draw? Was it favourable or was mm. it tough? Or how do you see it? Uh, I, do you know what? I, it's, it's one of the... I, every team now, in my opinion, has got top players. You're looking at mm. some of the so-called weaker nations you know, going back years that, you know, weren't great. But now a lot of these countries have got players playing in top top leagues and top mm-hmm. levels around the around the world. So at the minute, it's a case of getting, getting the playoff game sort of hopefully done and dusted mm-hmm. in a positive way and then moved on, move on to the Nations League. But, you know, it's through the Nations League that we got this playoff game in mm-hmm. the first place anyway. Mm-hmm. So it's a competition that we're going to, you know we're going to take really seriously uh, because we've obviously found up ourselves in this good position now of having the backup playoff game to potentially qualify. So we obviously know what a, a big tournament and and what a big tournament that it is. So mm-hmm. we'll we'll face that head on. Hundred percent. What I wanted to ask um, Stephen was, what is the key difference between managing um, and coaching at club level versus country? It's probably, well, the main one would be the gaps in between. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when you have actually got the players, a lot of the time, you know, especially like the Celtic Rangers boys and, you know, the boys in the Premier League that play on a Sunday, mm. for argument's sake, we actually play Celtic and I think they've done an agreement now where there won't be a couple of games played on that Sunday mm-hmm. because there's been international games where we play on the Thursday some of the players play on the Sunday. So you get two days, pretty much recovery. Mm. So you're into Wednesday, day before a game's a light session. Yeah. Then you play the game. Then you're two days recovery. So it's actually getting enough sessions to mm. to do your proper work. You know, not yeah, just a little yeah, warm yeah, up yeah. and, a, mm. you know, the little bits and pieces, but doing real tactical work becomes difficult when you've got hardly any time with the players. So there's mm. a lot of video work as... as information that gets sent out to the players you know in between games now um mm. and that's that's crucial so you're not just turning up for yeah. camp you know we've got israel on thursday and you mm. know nothing about them yeah, mm. yeah you know over the last few months we've been sort of myself the coaching staff and the support staff and analysts have been looking at all of these oppositions mm. uh, so hopefully we're ready and in Do a good place to, yeah, yeah and yeah. getting information individually and and unit-wise to, to the players to, to see what they're going to be coming up against. So we meet up and it's already in their mind and thinking mm. about what's coming. How, how is it tempering, you know, those rivalries between, you know, Rangers and Celtic when the players come into camp? How is it? Because I remember previously hearing about the England teams in the past, um, you know, the Man United players won't get along with the Liverpool players. So how is it managing that? Hasn't needed managing, to mm. be honest. Um like I said, there's a good atmosphere in the squad between the players. You know, a lot of these players have played with and against each other since they were kids. Mm. Um, so there's a really good feel about it. I obviously know about the England situation. I spoke along the way with a few of those England players and okay. there was those rivalries and mm. egos and little cliques. But, you know, again, it's similar to how how it was for me with the Republic that people look forward to to meeting up mm. and getting together and you know some play in England some play in Scotland mm-hmm. you know we've got a couple of well Ollie Burke's over in Spain at the minute so it's actually a place where hopefully it's you know especially with with how it's gone in the last few games you want to make it a place where the players want to come mm. I think obviously because it's been so long since qualifying for that tournament there has been a negativity around around the team and the country and that connection with the team. Um, but you want to make it ultimately a, a place where the players can't wait to get over there and meet, get up there and meet up. Yeah, 100%. so how would you assess the standard of Scottish football 
because over this side, you know, of the border, there's a lot of besmirching saying, oh, Scotland, you know, Celtic dominate. But my argument is look at Liverpool here. So what do you think about the standard of football in um, Scotland? It's a good standard. It's a really good standard. And from the, the players that are involved in the squad, you know, they're playing and training at a, a really good level. Obviously, you have got that disparity between the top top teams in the Scottish Premier League and the and the teams that obviously financially not got the backing as a as the same as in the English league. But you know, it's a, having spent a lot of time up there and going to a lot of games, it's a passionate league. Mm. There's players and a market there that I think sometimes they don't do it. A, they do, they sorry do it a disservice mm. in the mm. ability of players that. You know, are playing up there. You know, you look at John McGinn playing at Hibs a few years ago. Aston Villa take the plunge, and now he's, you know, all sorts of figures being talked about and mm. moves to top top clubs in the in the English Premier League. So it's listen, their the talents up there. We're seeing it firsthand. Well, I am from going to games and and seeing the players that are playing in Scotland and involved in the national team so mm. yeah really Van Dijk was only there a couple of years mm. ago as yeah, well, and about it. yeah I think yeah. there is a little bit of a snobbery around yeah, yeah. around the league uh, for sure but you know like I say I've, I've been really impressed with what I've seen so far so so what are your, your final thoughts um, have you got a message for the Scotland fans you know we need them to show <laughs> massive support <laughs> in this big game coming up so do you have a, just a message for them well the support is going to be is going to be crucial in this game. I've the games I've been in involved in so far with the national team haven't been sellouts. Mm. You know, at home so far, I was up in Scotland this week and I'm hearing there's only a couple of thousand tickets left to to sell. I went to I went to the Scottish Cup final, um, the Celtic Rangers one a couple of months ago, and it was a sellout. And the atmosphere, mm. it's night and day between when it's full mm. and when it's half full. So you know that can be a major boost for us if. Mm those last couple of tickets get sold and yeah. the, the team just fully get behind, the fans fully get behind the team. Uh, hopefully we can get across the line. Fingers and crossed. Fingers I think crossed. that would just give the country a massive, if we was, were to qualify, that would just give the country a, a huge lift and obviously shake off this 22 years that it's been since the last one. So yeah, just get behind the team and, and hopefully it'll be a sellout. 100%. I've got one more question. Um, recently it was announced that the Premier League are going to be introducing the Hall of Fame so who would be your first two players inducted into the Hall of Fame in the Premier League that have retired? Uh, can't put yourself. Definitely going to be going in there. For, for me personally, I played with him. Um, Roy Keane would probably be one for me. Just off the, There's so many, but off the top of my head, it's... Such a difficult one because there's a few mm. that could go in there. I can quite give easily. you some names if you like, want. Thierry Henry mm. might get in there. Geeks, Shearer. Geeks would have to be in there. Shearer would have to be spoken about. Top scorer mm. of all time in the Premier League. Steven Gerrard. Rio. Gerard, Rio. Terry. You know. Yeah. The, the, They're all going to get in there at some point, aren't they? Yeah, exactly. So 100%. it'll probably be done in a way where I think all, the, all of those that you mentioned will definitely be. Maybe, maybe Giggs. Maybe gigs in mm. there for longevity of a career. Mm. You know, the titles that no one's won more in the, the English game. So, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. There's <laughs> yeah. so many. Oh, There's so okay. many. We're going we're gonna to call it a day there. I think we're all going to be looking at uh, that game in a couple of weeks in uh, eager anticipation, you know, on the edge of our seats, uh, fingers crossed, toes crossed and everything else. Um, looking forward to it though, 100%. Um, Stephen, we just want to say a massive yeah. thank you oh. again. We really appreciate you taking out the time to sit down with us and, and, and talk about the beautiful game. Mm, that um, was amazing. It was brilliant insight. Brilliant insight. And yeah, it was it was just just fantastic just just uh, be able to sit down with you and 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 and, and talk about football. Um, so, listeners, we hope you uh, enjoyed uh, this episode as much as we did. We had a blast. We had a great time. Loved it. Um, as always, um, continue to show your support by sharing the content amongst your friends, your family members, your work colleagues. If you're not yet following us on Twitter, please make sure you do. It's at podcast underscore TBG. You can also follow us on Instagram at pod underscore TBG. We always mention that we don't discriminate across platforms. So we are across Spotify, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts. 
Um, and if you are listening in on Apple Podcasts, please make sure you leave a five-star review as well because your engagement goes a long way to helping us move the product forward. So keep supporting. We've got uh, bigger and better things on the way and coming. So stay tuned, stay locked. And I think we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna end it there. there. Yeah. yeah. Nice one. Over Thank and you. out. Thanks again, Thank Steve. you. Peace. Mobile phone companies say they offer home internet. But if their internet comes from a cell phone network, you should know. It's just phone internet, not home internet. Keep your home up to speed with Cox. Cox internet is faster and has more reliable download speeds than 5G home internet. Cox is the real home internet you're looking for. Based on Cox analysis of UCLA speed test intelligence data, Q3 2022 and Cox serviceable areas, visit cox.com internet for details. Head over to Hulu this March, where our new shows and movies will keep you streaming all month long. Catch the award-winning movie, Poor Things, starring Emma Stone, Mark Ruffalo, and Willem Dafoe. Check out the new documentary, Freaknik, The Wildest Party Never Told, about the iconic Atlanta street party. And don't miss FX's Shogun, a reimagining of the epic tale starring Anna Sawai. So, what are you waiting for? Go stream something new on Hulu. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.